Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Oliver, Oliver, have you ever looked into getting a bird? You know what? I, I actually, we were just talking about this because there's a, a place in Santa Monica called Omar's, which was a bird spot, a parrots or some shit. I'm sure, I don't know if Josh, you know about it or not, but my kids were heavily into getting a parrot and, and three years ago or four years ago. And so we were very close to actually purchasing a bird. Thank God we didn't. I think parrots are frightening. I, I don't, whatever it is in their brains that allow them to talk like humans or mimic humans, <laughs> there's some sort of Darwinian thing. Were there, were there parrots back in the day? Were there, I mean, I know there were with pirates, and there are no more pirates that I'm aware of. I mean, like the old school pirates, like with the, the ones you see, of the, the ones of Penzance. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. There's no Penzance pirates, right? There are pirates. Yeah. There are people out on the yeah. ocean robbing people. But I mean, were yes. there? So what I don't understand at all is how these birds. It's like a cat. Like I've never been a cat person because I feel like, in many ways, they're smarter than me, and I don't want to have anything that could somehow attack me at night that isn't in a cage. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of a parrot. I don't I don't want a parrot walking around, you know, flying around this saying is, my shit. You know, first of all, hello. Joe, it's good to see you. But I love, I like this conversation. I, I, I agree. Parrots, it's strange. I, I, I don't get why it. Why is it just parrots? <laughs> why can't other animals? Why is it just the parrot? Why can other animals? Oh I God. saw a video of a whale <laughs> talking English or mimicking the sounds that it heard. But why, why is it just parrots of all animals that can somehow form? words and do they speak other languages <laughs> just yeah. english well like i've know, only heard an english speaking <laughs> parrot do parrots in in mexico go <laughs> of como course of course and in <laughs> france they're like they're like bonjour yeah without a doubt i mean <laughs> just real quick i just want to say parrots speaking japanese is one of my favorite things is that okay on the first of all this is josh this is Josh, who edits beautifully edits all of our shows, and I knew that his boner was growing the minute we were talking no, about parrots. I'm watching he had him to up, chime in. I'm watching him shake his head. He hates me now because I'm denigrating parrots. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> I know, Josh. Sorry, so let me buddy. issue an apology now, okay, for yeah, all the parrot lovers out there, and for all of the Audub- <laughs> to the entire Audubon Society. I'm sorry. I'm not picking on parrots. I am not. I'm 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 just I'm dumbfounded why it's mm-hmm. this one species, this one breed of bird that seems to have cracked the code of speaking whatever language it hears. I I don't and I'm sure there are others, but they're known they're for just, that. They're smart. I mean, there's certain parrots though that are better talkers than other and some parrots can't even speak. Am I right, Josh? Yes. Okay. Thank you. 
Um, well, we had a parrot. We, we had many, actually. My mom was a parrot lover. We had a macaw back in 1986, and he was the love of my mother's life, and it was reciprocated. I mean, Kurt was secondary, basically. What about you? I mean, maybe this is part of the um, issue. I've always, I've always been third or fourth. Tertiary. Yeah, tertiary or tertiary. <laughs> okay, so Jewish, what was the parrot's Yiddish name? People say the real, um, the real Oliver. <clears throat> yeah, my mom named it Oliver. <laughs> I, I don't even. Oh, I don't remember one car- One one bird's name was Rut, but this was not this. I don't remember the name. How'd you kill anyway, it? How did you kill it? Well, no. Well, we had to give it away, honestly, because 1986, my brother Wyatt was born. And the parrot, the macaw, was so insanely jealous that it would go after the infant uh, Wyatt and try to basically kill him to the point where my mom had to give this parrot away. This macaw had to leave our family. Where's Goldie go? Where's Goldie? Where's Goldie? Fuck Wyatt. (laughs) Fuck Wyatt. I hate babies. (laughs) This kid's mowing my lawn. This kid's mowing my lawn. That that is, I, we had to do that with a rescue half uh, Visla half Pitbull because when Blake was three months, four months, five months, whatever it was, he just walked up and yanked the thing's tail, and he this dog uh, whipped around. I was like, oh, I, I dove oh. in between the two, and we sent the dog to a trainer, and the trainer's like, no problem, I got this. I, there's a, there ain't a dog that can't be trained, that can't be can't listen to my instruction and get how to be around infants. And then after about six months, we went back out there, and the, the, the guy's like, yeah, this one's not listening to me at Did all. You, it sounds like you went to, like, Kentucky to get this dog trainer. We, uh, Warrington, Missouri, <laughs> great guy, became a nice family friend. In fact, adopted our dog, Finley, and uses that dog to break in, quote-unquote, new dogs at his training facility. Wow. Well, I want to get back to cats just really quickly because I was like you. I never, ever liked cats, you know? Just recently, I've been around a few cats, and... uh I'm kind of weirdly feeling them in my middle age. I don't know why. Is this a bad sign? <laughs> I think it's a bad sign. Is it? I don't know. I just I, I'm so I, scared to I, say I, anything anymore. I, I just I, I, I'm reaching out for help. I mean, I'm honestly reaching for help. Right I don't now. think like, you need an intervention bad? for cat love. Okay. I, I, okay. I, you know, I, cats are fantastic. I have a lot of close friends that adore. Like would do anything for their cats i just i don't feel like they're they always have that look like i i'm could scratch your eyes out if i want just at this moment i'm not choosing to so i i don't i'm not a cat guy i feel like dogs are like oh whatever no but i think what's happening in my life now is that i i feel like i'm taking care of so many entities you know it's like my three kids i don't take care of my wife but you know you you're giving you're giving and then i've got my two dogs Donut and Bronco. Donut is my English bulldog who's just a total dummy, but sweet and great. And then Bronco is my German short hair pointer who's smart and needs attention. And They all need attention. And the cat is kind of great because they don't. They can just do their thing and then come to you a little bit when they need a little this. And and you don't have to worry about the cat. You know, I kind of like that part of it. Yeah, I I get it. I just think... 
I'm, I'm with you in your original premise that you just don't need to add anything else to your life that need to takes away. So what does the cat then give you? If, if you take <laughs> no, the cat thing, if the cat, I'm not gonna let's get say cat, you go get I'm a cat not. and it's, it's yeah. not, you're not paying attention to the cat and the cat every once in a while comes up and lays on your lap. Well, right. What do you get out of that? Uh, nothing. Uh, you know, uh, uh, nothing. What about uh, like right. a hunting cat? Know. No, yeah, exactly. And then and then they just show you their like weird butthole. Yeah, I don't. They, they the just have an attitude. This is it's an attitude that I don't really. I wouldn't accept in a person. I think that's it. Cats have an attitude that if it were a person, I wouldn't accept it. Like, eh, maybe I'll come over there. Eh, yeah. Maybe I like you. Eh, maybe I don't want that in an animal. Well, I'm not getting a cat. Good. I'm not going to. I can't. I don't. I don't need anything. I can't. I need nothing more in my life right now but i am leaving for colorado in five days and i have never been more excited to get off of the grid even though it's not fully off the grid but i don't know i I have this feeling which is just completely irrational and not even true that the minute i leave la and get into colorado like all my problems will be solved yeah, it's I wouldn't do so that because true. then when they're not, then you're going to be even more depressed. I Can I just no, suggest I, one yeah. thing? Can you bring like a new router with you? Something for your oh. internet? No, I, 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 the, the second half, I think we were good. I, I got the whole house lined up. Okay. All right. You know, because for yeah, the longest know, time, was... we had such a tough time with you would oh, freeze up and then you'd tap out and then and it was because it was yeah, a it was, 1986 router before there were routers or I, mean, I might not even be saying the right thing i don't even know if they're routers but but yeah whatever no, your internet connection basically yeah. yeah yeah it almost ruined our friendship that was tough yeah i didn't feel good about the start of our mcconaughey podcast which i'm i haven't seen the numbers but i think I, eventually will become the uh the most listened to one we've done to date because you and i get mm-hmm. on and we are just crushing each other yeah. and and you're i'm crushing you you're <laughs> screaming at me and my wife and my daughter natalie was like i can't listen to that i mean i know exactly how he feels i know exactly how he feels meaning oh really oh yeah <laughs> That's so funny well i you know i don't listen to the podcast but you were like dude you got to listen to this you know when you texted me and i listened to it and it is I mean, it's awesome. I I I I love I loved hearing it back. <laughs> it I was I was driving so with my mom, and I was taking her home, and uh, I put it on. I didn't really say anything, and my mom's who's eighty two is like, now what what is this? And and it's it's us. It's you coming on, just going berserk, and me just kind of <laughs> needling you along the way, and then the way we talk to each other. I, I was crying <laughs> laughing, and my mom was laughing by the end of it. Oh, good. And, oh, good. I, and so I, I think the main reason why I bring any of this up, or I wanted you to hear it <laughs> back, is because you don't remember how it is after you do it, but then when you listen back to it after a little bit of time, that's the main thing, is that my daughter, who turns 25 mm-hmm. today, uh, mm-hmm. was like, I know exactly how he feels. I'm like, well, what about me? I mean, I'm waiting for like 10 minutes until he gets on. She's like, no, I know exactly how he feels. And Michelle, the same way. So they took your side in our argument. That kind of pisses me off. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. That's so funny. Yeah. They can relate. They they were like, <laughs> they can relate. That's so funny. I'm 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 oh. not kidding. And and I'm 
I'm glad we put that stuff in because that's how we are. And that's, I think, mm-hmm. kind of how we relate to one another and, and is the foundation mm-hmm. of our friendship. But because we fight and then we we make up and mm-hmm. we're good, but it is intense when we're fighting. It's not good, especially on text, because then you really you add in another layer sometimes in yeah. text of tone that's not even intended. I but think it's just, important, though, that you have those friends, you know? I mean, I think there's certain people, certain friends of mine who I couldn't have that relationship with. But you and I have a certain synergy to where you can give it to me, I can give it to you. It can get heated, whether it, whether it's via text or verbally. But there's a coming together, you know? Even if we are getting at each other, I know that there's still love, and it's not, I, I don't have to worry about it being the end of a friendship, Whereas with some, as you know, one of them, you know, yeah. that happened a little while ago. Right. You know, you like, it just fucking, it just ends. And I'm Has, like, have you Have you spoken Christ. to that person since that blow up? <clears throat> nope. No. I, that that shocks me. That shocks me that, yeah. that, that, that you, both of you, but that other person yeah. would take it that seriously especially now because that was around a certain event and that event has come and gone and everybody yeah. has taken a time out yeah. from that event and you're, who cares? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I tried, you know what I mean? Like I, I took, you know, I knew my part in it and I took responsibility for it and I, I made an apology and I tried to look at the silver lining of things and, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't reciprocated, I guess, and that's fine. You know, mm. fuck it. What are you gonna do? Yeah. But my point is, is that it's it's nice that you can have those type of friends where you can vent, you can get it out, but you know that at the end of the day, it was it, we're Teflon. It's not gonna damage us in any way. I do that you know? with Michelle too, and I, I feel like um, you know, I I, I don't want to be in a position where we're always fighting, but I also don't want to be in a position where I'm scared to fight or I'm scared to talk mm-hmm. or I'm scared to really give my opinion or I'm scared to just be myself. Or I'm, and, and the same for her. I would never want that on her side. So I, I think there is value in fighting as long as you do it in a fair way and you can kind of take a moment after, take a breath and then laugh about it or just come back together. I've never understood couples and friends of mine who just don't fight. I feel like how then mm-hmm. one of the two of you doesn't stand up for him or herself. I feel like I mean it, I don't mean fight mm-hmm. like fight fight. I just mean want to be heard and like no, I don't want to do it that way. And then you get into a little thing and then you move on. But I feel like both <laughs> parties have to be heard. Yeah. And then it's just, it's the reconciliation. I mean, right after we finished the show, I was texting you like, I'm sorry, dude. Like, I'm just a little nuts. I, uh, you know, <laughs> I felt I know, terrible. I, I, I felt worse. I texted you and you're like, I'm reading your text and now I'm crying. And yeah, I, <laughs> I know I was. I was. Oh, shit. It's like, I'm not going to, okay. I'm not going to pick on the guy who I'm, you know, I'm as big a fan as you have other than your family. So I, Maybe there are equals, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. throw it all away because you were four minutes late to a podcast. That's that doesn't really add up. And then, then you know, if that's the case, then we probably didn't have a great friendship. Which, no, right. I would prob I would assign to that other example. You know, like if, yeah. if that if that back and forth ends it, you probably didn't have much to start with. Right. Exactly. It was real, and that's and and by the way, 
that's not necessarily a poor assessment of what happened with this other person. That's what I'm saying. You know, no, that, you, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you're right. You look back and you're like, well, maybe just the foundation, the depth wasn't there to sustain an, an argument, I guess. You know? Right. So that's exactly well said. You have to have the depth or the genuine love and care for somebody so that you can weather the fight and, and come out the other end in some ways better. Let me ask you a question, actually. Um, now that, you know, when your girls are in the, their 20s, what does the fighting look like with your kids? And I ask you this because, you know, Wilder, end of school, Wilder's my 13-year-old. You know, he's slacking on these things. I want him to get credit in a class. And long story short, I got pissed off last night because he's been just slacking. And then he texts me this really vulnerable text about why do you yell at me and it makes me feel it stresses me out and it makes me feel you know this and i was like oh my god it like devastated me because of course i'm now scared i've just ruined my child's life but do you fight with the girls and how does that look yeah but i feel like the father to a kid so he's what how old is he he's 13 13 He's 13. So, I'm just saying with so your girls. So my girls, girls that are know. now over 20, when we fight or if I say something, they will put me in my place. I, I think they're probably the only two people walking the planet that can really put me in my place and make me stop what I'm saying or doing. But it took a while to get to that point. Like I, I felt like I was parenting both girls up until a certain age, and now that they're you know, Trudy will be 22. Natalie just turned 25. So I, I that's over with. I want to be their friend. Mm. I don't want to be a friend in a fake way. I want to. I want to tell them how I feel. But you know, for Trudy, who can get emotional or can get uh, or shut off, I, I I have to pick my spots. And I think you you know where those spots are the older they get, and mm-hmm. they're gone. One's in L.A. One's in New York. I live in St. Louis. So if that's the case. I can push only so far, and I'm not saying they're not going to come back to me, but I, I just I don't want to waste my time with them fighting over little things. One's got a boyfriend that, that they've been together forever, really both do, and, and I feel like they're managing their own lives that way, and I'm not mm-hmm. there for that. I'm not there to tell Trudy or Natalie when to come home, or I'm not there to tell them, hey, get up and get out of bed, or why are you still sleeping? It's noon, Natalie. But what about, what about just their sort of assessment of you? nowadays as adult women you know who are saying dad here's your fucking problem i love you to death but this is who you are you need to fix this i don't like that i mean does that ever not i think that's the next you know i think that's the next phase i don't think we're in that phase right now but as you as you told me on the podcast and privately when you spent the time after we did family feud with natalie Mm -hmm. and she's going on about how important my uh my approval. stamp of approval is then yeah. you know i i don't know that she 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 did tell me that on a text just now because of what i just said to her for her birthday um but i think that's the next chapter I, I think they're willing to talk to like they'll talk to my wife michelle about that their stepmom they'll talk to you about that they'll talk to their friends about that but i don't know that mm-hmm. they come roaring back in with dad let me tell you what's wrong with you i i don't mm-hmm. we don't we don't really have that maybe we should but i don't know we're not there no nah, maybe not but i mean honestly in my with my situation i was almost proud of him in a way i just like that he could you be vulnerable be. with me and to be able to say that to me and i i, I said i said hey 
you know, I don't want to make you feel that way. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to think about it. And maybe I need to do it differently next time in the way that I speak to you, you know. And then, of course, I was like, but you can't just not study for a test and disrespect your teacher who has given you three chances to retake this fucking thing. And now you're blowing it off again. Maybe my tact, my tactic wasn't correct, but I'm still going to say something to you. I think you that know? I think that the older they get, the more they ruminate on what you say, even if it might ruffle their feathers at the beginning. You, the way you do it, but it sinks in. Like, and I, I'm that like way a still parrot. with my mom, like a parrot, like a great parrot, just constantly in your ear, going, you know, <laughs> right? What's wrong with you? Um, hey, yeah, there's yeah, Dean yeah, Nice. Yeah, do- all right, hold on. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah, Pretty man. loud and clear. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry I was late. I literally just came from the airport. I was shooting a, a, a Band-Aids commercial in New York yesterday. <laughs> and, <laughs> came, like, ha, I, and also, I was DJing um, in New Orleans for, like, a Essence Festival pre-record. So mm-hmm. when I came in here, I had to, like, reconnect everything. Oh, and I God, just no. Home, like, no, it's all good, man. We're, we were just talking about just kids and discipline and sort of you know when it's okay to or when you feel like you know you should and then when you might have crossed a line with something that you've said and in joe's case sort of having 25 year old and daughters in their mid-20s if 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 they tell him what's up and basically say here's what's fucked up about you and here's what you need to learn and just sort of that evolution i guess you know i mean you're there too dean nice right you've You've got a kid who's in, in her mid-20s, right? Yes, I have. Um, so here's what's funny. I have, uh, have two daughters. One daughter is, uh, she's, she's about to turn 25. She just graduated from Penn State Law School. So wow. that's wow. a different set of like, dad, I need you to pay for this thing. Then I have the 10-year-old daughter who was here with the dogs as I, like, while I was away and just left because she doesn't want to deal with the dog. So her mom and I are together. So she's like, the dogs are all yours now. I'm leaving. And I don't want two dogs. I just had one dog. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, oh, my gosh, man. Yeah, it's a a lot. How many kids do you have, Joe? So I have uh, two daughters that are 25 today and then 21, almost 22. And then I have two little boys who are twin three-year-olds. So Oh, wow. I've got it coming and going. I've got girls. I've got boys. Oliver has three kids that are right in the middle, two boys and a girl. So we've got really on this podcast alone, we've got every age group covered. And it's funny to go from, you know, the me with the water wings on my boys in a pool today compared to my 25 year old that's out all night on her 25th birthday. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) you know, so eventually you as a dad, you have to evolve too. And your, your counsel and your advice has to change as they grow. And, and, you know, she lives with her boyfriend. They're basically married. I'm not going to tell her when to come in. That's she's living her own life. So you just have to hope that you put enough in good stuff in so that, they're making the right decisions when you're not around, which I'm, I'm, I would imagine is, I mean, you got to be so proud of your girl that went to Penn State Law School. Jeez. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm extremely proud of her. Uh, one, because what's funny was I remember when she was when she was uh, five years old, I, I wasn't doing that well financially. So when I lived out in Queens, she went to like the neighborhood um, kind of daycare, but it was really someone's aunt's house that was watching like all of these kids. And she was five years old at the time. And when we and uh, I went to pick her up one day and they were watching this show 
on Fox. I will never forget it. Judge Joe Brown. Oh, I love Judge Joe Brown. (laughs) Judge Joe Brown. And I was completely livid. I was I was upset. Like, why are the kids watching Judge Joe Brown? They're like five years old and they were like glued to the television. And when we left, she kept saying, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer since she was five years old. And the, the fact that she graduated from law school. Oh, my God. Like, it, it's just it's it's just a beautiful story, beautiful journey. And she never swayed from it. So I'm extremely proud of her. Oh, my God. Now, having having, you know, similar to Joe, where you have a you have a you have a girl that you have sort of, you know, you've parented. And then yes. now you have another one who you are parenting, not that you ever stop being a parent. But do you draw from experiences, mistakes, failures, and successes from your first time around and bring that into what you're doing now with your with your girl, with your little oh, one? Ab- absolutely. So I um so you know, unfortunately, man, you know, like I was married when I was really young, you know, but the beauty of that right now is that my ex-wife and I and her husband are like the best of friends, you know. They'll, they'll go on vacation with me when I play like these big events somewhere and they'll give me multiple rooms. They'll come out. So we've, I've had this, this benefit of like having like this kind of like community, you know, parenting, like their, their daughter is like my daughter, you know, and we, we just, you know, I just had like such a wonderful time and a wonderful experiencing, uh, experience raising my, my oldest daughter because it's been such a community thing with the three of us. Um, so a lot of the things that I've learned from from uh, you know being a dad at extremely young age kind of helps me now with like in terms of like being patient, um, learning to set aside the time, you know. But 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 we continue to grow though because as an artist, you know, my life has always been changing, and it didn't stop until twenty twenty. Twenty twenty, when when we were like when we had the you know quarantine and we we're on lockdown, I learned a whole set of parenting skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was this because as an artist and as a DJ who was constantly traveling, I never I wasn't the one that was there with my kid. You know, I was always on the road. I did like almost four hundred thousand flight miles in twenty twenty nineteen. You know, I was on a plane almost every day, so I had to learn about while being home that there's a different level of patience that parents that are there with their kids every day have to, you have, you have, you must have, you know? So some of those skills I'm still learning. If you like conversations with multi-talented dads like today's episode with Dean Nice, go check out one of our past episodes where we talk with Michael Strahan about everything from playing in the NFL to his television career to nepotism, fatherhood, family, and so much more. It is hard whenever you have a certain life or lifestyle, and then I don't want my kids to to not in some way, shape, or form kind of benefit from it. But at the same time, I do have to remind the younger ones, the younger twins, okay, I just want you two to realize that this life is not your life. This is my life. The lifestyle right. is not your lifestyle, per se. It's a byproduct of my lifestyle. So you're going to have to earn and work and work hard in order to keep it up in this way, shape, or form. Or, you know what? It doesn't continue. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after the short break with more from today's guest, D-Nice. D-Nice. 
this quarantine, everyone's looking for the silver linings. We always have been. I think that's human nature. And, uh, you know, obviously your, your silver lining has been, <laughs> it's been an amazing, amazing to watch it all go down. I mean, I remember when, it, when you, when it was first happening, when you started DJing on Instagram, because, you know, I, I'm, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. You know, I, I've, I've been into hip hop since I was a kid. You know, you, Scott LaRock, yes, you know, sir. KRS, that whole scene was definitely something that I don't know why being this rich sort of white kid from the Pacific Palisades, for whatever reason, you know, it just got inside of me. And, and so it's a treat for me to be talking to you right now and to watch it all go down over quarantine and to be able to put you on, have you in my ears have my family listening while I'm making dinner or whatever. It was just such a treat and uh, transformative and gets you through it all. And uh, it was just a global dance party. And it was, so I just want to thank you for that, man. That was really special. I, I appreciate it. That was another one of those things that started, um, you know, I talk about it, but I don't go too deep into why it started. A lot of it had everything to do with, um, with my kids you know, like with the choices that were made as a parent. So like my daughter, you know, her, my daughter, my youngest daughter, and her mom lived in Michigan. I could have gone to Michigan to be with my child during the quarantine, but I saw what was happening, what was happening. And I knew in order to continue the journey of what was happening, because it was really important. Like I was reading the comments the first few days and how this music was changing people and they were people were extremely sad. So I had the choice of, do I leave and go be with my kid or do I continue to do something that's totally inspiring people that we thought was only going to last for a couple of weeks? Well, my kid can deal with it for a couple of weeks. I didn't know that I wasn't going to see my daughter for like four months because once I was in it, I just kept going. I kept doing it and kept trying to keep people inspired. Um, but I also knew that it was going to provide a lot of opportunities. It wasn't about you know, anything financial. It was just about like, uh, oh my dogs. <laughs> um, I just knew it was going to, it was something that was inspirational for my kids, you know, and, um, and it was something that was really good for people. You know, it was, it was just, it was sad that it went on for so long, but mm. we were lucky. I mean, can you imagine had this happened, you know, pre Instagram or pre zoom, mm -hmm. you know, people would have been depressed you know, when we couldn't have had, couldn't have interacted this way or we couldn't have danced together for so long, you know. So I'm just grateful that we have the technology to be able to do what we did. Everybody needs that sense of community. Everybody needs that touch almost with another person. And, and I remember when it was happening, people were speculating that, oh, when this is all over, nobody's going to shake hands anymore. You know, like that that's going to be the new way. And And I don't know about you, but I feel like it's almost you want to do it more because we didn't get a chance to do it like you want to reach out if you're vaccinated and you you if you if you're in a position where let's say both parties are you know you just want to give them a little hug like hey it's it's good to see you and and i your comment which i thought was amazing and and really hit home with me is when you were djing and doing it through social media you didn't have a sense of how it was going over with the crowd obviously mm. 
because of the situation. So you're kind of on your own. And instead of being able to read the room in that community and, and see the smiles and see people reacting to whatever you were putting on, it was really all on you. And, and I feel like in some ways it, it probably made the job a, a little bit more difficult because you're really just launching into something that you hope people are connecting with. And obviously we all know several awards later they did. And, and, uh, I don't know. Just talk about that. What that's like when you're in a room compared to when you're on your own. What's What's interesting about that is I found myself last year. You know, I've been in mu- in music. I mean, I've knows I've been in the music industry over 35 years at this point. You know, uh, I spent the last 20 years as a DJ playing mo- you know big events from the Super Bowl to the Oscars and inauguration for the Obamas to. The clubs, like I've done a lot of things, but those events were events for someone else. I was playing your event. So a lot of times people will kind of like, you know, kind of not really, I wouldn't necessarily say dictate, but they would say, hey, this is the kind of vibe that I want. I'm either doing this old school 80s party or I'm doing a Mm -hmm. hip hop party with Stretch Armstrong and Clark Mm -hmm. Kent. With, With what I was doing online, that was the first time in my entire career that I felt that. It was whatever it was that I wanted to do. You know, I grew up in a very specific time, you know, in the 80s. I was born in the 70s, but I grew up as a as a lover of the 80s. You know, so if you had to sit back and, and, and if you were a hip hop lover and you were waiting for them to play Run DMC or, you know, if you're an African-American kid waiting for them to play Michael Jackson on MTV, because remember, those, that's what we had. We only had MTV. Well, I had to sit through Bed Midler. I had to sit through all the notes. <laughs> Phil Collins. All all those, songs. Yeah. So level 42 to wait for, for Run DMC. Right. And and while sitting and watching these videos, I became fascinated with them. You know, like, come on, who doesn't remember the Meat Loaf videos in, like, the 80s? And what the hell, like, I would do anything for love, that <laughs> video. I won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, so, so, like, as a DJ, and especially when I played – those big big nights on 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 Instagram, I saw what the community was, and I saw what the opportunity was. It was mm-hmm. to be able to just play music, because that's we've all been so separated. Like a lot of us won't go to the old school dance clubs because you don't want to hear that, or or the hip hop clubs. But here's a chance to just play everything and bring people together. So I think I'm gonna have a harder time going back to the to in real life because. I don't know how people are going to listen to it all together. You know what I mean? Like I, I really enjoy playing social media. Like, well, I that's not, but, but you, you said it right. I mean, when you're a DJ for a living, you're right. I mean, it's, you go and you get paid and they say, Oh, here's what we want. We want, you know, early nineties, this, or we want rock and roll, whatever. But that's what was so great about it is that it felt like it was coming from you. Sure. You know, you weren't obligated to do anything other than what was coming from your soul in that moment. And then you actually sparked an entire wave of it. Cause then, you know, Quest got into it and then you got a lot of other people. I think Ninth Wonder I was listening to a bunch, you know, and then all these battles were happening and you felt this sort of this this groundswell, you know, and it was really, really, really cool. And I, I have to ask a question though. Do you feel an obligation now? I mean did you at at any time you're like, ah, oh, shit, man, I got to get back on the turntables because now everyone is expecting this and I, I just want to take a break? 
Yeah, you know, I started taking breaks recently, you know, just, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation and I love transparency. So, you know, about two months ago, I had my own little breakdown, you know, where mm. I woke up one morning and I cried for three hours straight, just mm. tears for three hours. I couldn't, I couldn't even stop it. And what I realized was that for the, the entire year th- that we were all dealing with this pandemic, I never, I never faced what my insecurities were, you know, mm. like I... I masked it with music. Every time I felt some kind of way, I would jump on Instagram and I would play music for people. And that kept me going and that kept me from feeling and dealing with the emotions. Um, So, yeah, you know, like, do I feel an obligation? Not as much as I did early on. Early on, I definitely felt like I was reading messages from people that were, you know, where, where they, I mean, I'll see... I mean, obviously, you know, if you see 20,000 people in on an IG screen, it represents more like 125,000 because the technology doesn't have the ability to separate when you get off to answer your call. They kick you out, you know, mm-hmm. so like you're looking at 100,000 people in there and people saying things like, you know, he blew up now and, you know, he's going to leave us soon. And mm-hmm. that that just weighed on me because we were still dealing with the pandemic and we were still quarantined. And I didn't want people to feel that way because I I knew that the music was, was inspiring, but here's, here's the other, here's the beauty of it, you know, um, and not, not to make this about self-promotion, but it's really about how I, I know that this really resonated with people in such a beautiful way. You know, I have my first show coming up that was announced last week, right? That's so right. At the Hollywood Bowl, right? The Hollywood Bowl. The very first day that it went up, we sold 12,000 tickets. And then today, you know, we found out that it was sold out. This is for a DJ. That's Congratulations. Congratulations. Wow. Good. That's you awesome. Know, like, you know, that was the thing that kept me going throughout the entire pandemic was imagining like one day when we can all get together, that first show is going to be at the Hollywood Bowl. And like for it to happen is incredibly special, man. And, and you know, I, I don't know if you guys are, are you guys from, from Cali? I live in L.A. I'm here now. Yeah. Oh, so you know how special that is, man. And, oh, and, yeah. And so for people to want to fly from all over the world to be there and dance together and see each other for the first time is so special, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm truly humbled by what happened this year. You know, like I said, I found myself musically. I feel like I found myself as a parent where I don't, I, I know what's important in, in, in the lives of my children. Like my kids are inspired right now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I watched, I watched it as you guys have as well. Like we watched our kids zoom school while the mm-hmm. dogs are barking. That was the first thing that my daughter said to me, I was trying to do a test today and Charlie wouldn't stop barking. You know, if, if they can make it through this, if these kids can make it through something like this, man, then we still have to be strong for them. So I've learned a lot this year. Boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, man, because, um, you know, Joe knows because I talk about it. I'm very transparent with the way that I feel and the things that I go through as well. Well, so but, am I. You know, I. I mean, don't make it seem like I'm no. not. Well, you're you're I'm kind a of fragile little flower too. Button, I mean, we're buttoned up a little bit, you know. <laughs> Joe, when was the last time you cried, man? I when was the last time America's Got Talent's been on TV? I cry every show, every show. <laughs> Wait, did you really? Did you really? I, I do. My wife, 
Look, I, I can't I, even I, imagine you crying, though, Joe. I I'm followed my dad <laughs> into this business, and he was my best friend. When he died after seven months in the hospital, I never cried. I never cried about it. I was there every day in the intensive care unit, and then whatever room he was in, I never got emotional about it. But God bless. I watched the Friends reunion, and they bring in a choir with Lady Gaga to sing Smelly Cat and I'm crying my eyes out. Now, if you can, if you can, I need, I need help is what I'm saying. I, I didn't cry about my dad dying, but I cry about a chorus and Lady Gaga singing Smelly Cat. So there's something in there that, I, yeah, I'm an easy cry, but it comes at weird times. So sorry, Oliver. I just wanted to, to tell D nice that I'm not some like... <laughs> Hardened free. You have that feelings, right? You have I feelings. I have feelings too. Absolutely. You do. Oh, yes, feelings of anger. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's. I know it's. 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 Look, we're all going through it. I'm going through my shit right now as well. You know. But it's nice to hear. You know. You say that. I mean, it's just. It's part of it. And you're right. I think we need to give our kids a little bit of slack. And I. I I'm. I. I. I sometimes get on them too much you know i'm expecting a little bit too much of them i feel like and uh you know i'm dealing with that right now with my with my son my 13 year old who i'm just like on his ass on his ass but i I might have to just settle in a little bit and understand that you know he's been going through a whole crazy year you know yes yes i love that Um, I'm, i'm falling in love with this podcast because I, as soon as I sign on, we're talking about p- being parents, and that's some cool shit, man. But but I, I, here's what we don't know. So I knew. I, so we have a, a packet. We have a packet, and your girls are in there. Your relationships are in there. I, I see how you've reinvented yourself over the years, and, and now you said you found yourself. But I don't know how you grew up. How did you grow up? Grow up? What what kind of love were you getting at home? What was your family situation as a kid? So I think, like, the way I grew up is part of um, uh, what makes this journey so special. So I I grew up, my mom, you know, my mom had me at 18. My parents did. They were both 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. So, and and I wasn't raised by my mother. I was raised by my great-grandmother, not even my Mm -hmm. grandmother, my great-grandmother. And my great-grandmother and my cousin. My cousin is roughly seven years older than me. And she had the onus of taking care of my great grandmother and myself mm. and her her son. So she was a kid raising a kid, but also raising her grandmother. Um, and we lived in the Bronx in a four hundred square foot tenement apartment, you know. And my grandmother, my great grandmother, and I slept on opposite sofas in the living room. So that that those were the times when when we made South Bronx our very first single with BDP, mm-hmm. like that. That's what my living situation was, you know, like mm. growing up in the inner city. You know, I always wanted to I was always a smart kid, always in education. But then, you know, I didn't have the freshest clothes, you know, like so then that you had that kind of pressure growing up in the inner city. And luckily for me, I um my cousin's boyfriend worked at a men's shelter in the Bronx. I was like 15 years old at the time. And he worked at this men's shelter called the Franklin Men's Shelter in the Bronx. And I used to cook dinner all the time at like 15. And he asked me to bring him some food to the shelter. Obviously, we didn't have Ubers back then. We didn't have enough money for taxis. So this this was like a three and a half mile walk to take him food. And I was sharing this story with our buddy Dave Chappelle. I was telling him this. And he, he he's, you know, I, 
because he asked me, how did I meet KRS? So this was that journey. When I walked into the shelter with the food, my cousin said, hey, I want to introduce you to someone. Walked me into a social worker's office, and it was DJ Scott LaRock. And then Scott LaRock introduced me to a homeless guy that lived in the shelter who he was a rapper by the name of KRS-One. Oh so God. when I told Dave this story, he said, man, do you hear what you said? You walked three miles with food to feed your future. Mm. And that's literally what that was. You know, had I not gone there, this would have been a different path, you know, like, but because I went and I took food to my cousin, it totally changed my life, you know. And from that point, I was always inspired by Karis One and Scott LaRock, you know. And, you know, we put out our first record when we were when I was 16 years old. And, you know, I've had ups and downs, but like never looked back, never swayed from music, always wanted to be involved in the music business. Loved it. Um, I, I still wanted to be an attorney, but I never told my daughter that. So the fact that my daughter is an attorney or, you know, she just graduated law school and the fact that I, I was able to pay for that for her, it just makes this journey so beautiful. Man, when, how old do you think you were? And may, maybe it's, it's, a, it's an unfair question. When it dawned on you, the sacrifice that your great grandmother and your cousin made for you, you know, like – because somewhere along the line, you could have gone this way or that way. And you you were always interested in education. You were always, you know, you, you bought, you said yes to walk the food three and a half miles. You you put yourself in a position to be successful and, and to, you know, whatever groundwork was put in when, when do you think, you know, at what age or, or, or as you look back now as an adult with, with two daughters of your own, do you look back and go, man, these two women were, were so, so beautiful and so wonderful and so giving to me. Even if it wasn't perfect, they were willing to raise this little boy. So I, I think about that all the time, actually. Um, one of the things I think about is the fact, I mean, we grew up We grew up in a different time. I don't know how old you are, Joe, but you do have a 25 I'm, I'm year old. I'm exactly your age. I'm a one-year-old. Well, I'm assuming you are my age, right? So we grew up in a time where we did have a little bit more freedom than we actually give our kids now. You know, um, when I, growing up, you know, I was a young kid that was able to, no one told me no, you know, like, because my cousin, she was only 21. You know what I mean? Like she didn't, she, there, she didn't know how to parent, you know, she was trying to parent her, her child for me at, you know, seven, eight years old or nine, 10, whatever it was back then. No one told me no. So I used to hang out, on the streets and, you know, I, I just feel like people always looked out for me, right? So they always saw something good in me. So I don't want to just say it was just about these two women because it was also about the people in the neighborhood. So I grew up in a neighborhood that was, you know, crime rate was high, drug use was high, people were selling drugs everywhere. When I tried to do that, to sell drugs, those guys saw something different in me, the guys that would hang out on the corners. And they wouldn't allow me to do it. Like, and they mm. would just say, "You, yo." They would say, "Shorty, no, this isn't for you." Isn't that doesn't no, that, isn't that mind blowing to you though? That's that yeah, somebody no, right who's an adult doing something sees somebody else who may start to make the same mistakes or whatever you want to call it that they made, and they took the time to go. You don't want to be where I am. You don't. It's so beautiful, which is why I try to to always give back 
I try to go back to the neighborhoods to inspire that next generation because where I am right now in my life is, is a reflection of like, uh, of, of the people that looked out for me, the people that saw something good in me. So when you talk about what happened last year with the music and trying to inspire people, it's really because of what happened in my life, you know, with, with people doing just that for me, people making their own sacrifices to say, Hey, this isn't for you. No, this is what I want you to do. This is, this is the path you should be on. And, um, and that's why I always felt like it was important to do something that was inspirational. If you're enjoying this episode of Daddy Issues, don't keep it to yourself. Share the love. Tell a friend about Daddy Issues and go subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and demand that they pay us. <laughs> hey, stay tuned, everybody. You don't want to miss the rest of our conversation with D-Nice coming up right after this short break. Was your was your dad around at all? Uh, no, I met my father when I was like seven. He was gone, and then I met him again when I, when South Bronx was out, and he was gone. Then, yeah, I have no relationship with him. Did you have a um, a father figure or a male figure in your life at all that you know you, no, was inspiring was, to you? I was raised by all women, <laughs> all women that kept me inspired. That's the truth. Wow. Yes, yes. It was always. And and as you look back, were you a, a tough love dad? Were you somebody that was, you know, that was coddling your children? Was it, you know, how, how would you how would you look back on yourself as a father? So my parenting style has always been, you know, I've never I've never been. Obviously, I have daughters, so I've never been one to discipline with anything physical. Like I don't believe in that. That's just not me. You know, like. I know that's the way a lot of older people grew up, but that's not something I I try to 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 be the type of parent that would just converse and talk about things with my kid and allow them to be heard. Because I remember being young and wanting to be heard. I also remember no one ever told me I couldn't climb the tree. So, I, you know, so my parenting style is a little bit different. You know, it's a little unorthodox compared to mom, you know, where. She went to country day school and she was, you know, very, she had this whole strict, you know, routine that she had to follow. I'm a free flowing artist. Like, no, you know, if that's what you want to do, all right, let's talk about it. Okay. Well, why do you want to do it? So I, I'm that type of parent, you know, and I think it works well for us because there is a, a balance that you, you need, you know, I don't play, I don't believe in good cop, bad cop, you know, Anything that I say, we should be able to discuss this in front of each other, whether she's home, you know, our child is home with me or with her. Um, you know, so I don't think it's it, it's it, I don't I'm not saying I'm father of the year, but it's the best way that I know how to be dad. Oh, so, and it's just based on the way I grew up. Yeah. So my dad, you know, my dad left when I was well, the divorce was five. But when I was 11, 12 years old, he was pretty much out of the picture. And it was rough. Kurt, my stepdad, came into my life and raised me, but still, that that bio, that biology was not there. But I remember making a decision in my early late teens, early twenties. I knew I wanted to be a dad, but I also knew that I didn't want to be the dad that my dad was to me, meaning absent. And I was going to do everything that I could to break that pattern because my grandfather actually left my dad when when my dad was young as well. You know, was there any part of you when you became a father 
that was like, I'm not, I'm going to be there. Like this is, this is a, there is no question in my mind that I'm not going, I'm going to break the, break this pattern. Every part of me, everything that I've done was for the legacy that I wanted to leave behind. At the time, it was just one child and it was just my oldest daughter. It was about not wanting to, to be that person. But when my, when my youngest daughter was born, that, that shifted for me, you know, where it was, I felt like I spent too much time worrying about the type of father that I didn't want to be. And, and then when my youngest daughter was born, it was about being a great parent. Now, not, you know, because I also didn't under, I didn't know what the circumstances that my parents had, that they had to deal with, you know? So I felt like I started to be too judgmental on my parents because how, if you, you know, it, and it was really like one day I remember looking at my then 18-year-old daughter and I looked at her and I was, and and at the time she was on, you know, she was like in college, Spelman University, you know, going into her second year. But when I looked at her, I saw my mother. Hmm. And when I looked at my kid who was well, you know, well-educated, she went to private schools all of her life. She she was accepted into 11 schools, went to the school of her choice. You know, I looked at her and I was like, there's no way that this kid could raise a child. And it made me think about my parents like they weren't, you know, they didn't have the same type of education. They grew up in a different time. Mm-hmm. And I and in that moment, I felt like I was being far too judgmental that they did the best that they could do with with this with the skill sets that they had. Mm-hmm. And. I needed to let go of that. Whatever that shit was for me, I just needed to let go of it because the beauty of that relationship to me is that they also stayed out of my way. So I had the freedom to be the type of person that I wanted to become. And I didn't take on the traits that they had. Like I became someone totally different. And this was a chance for me to inspire my own kids one day. And, you know, and, and I know that I did, you know, I know that I have a fantastic relationship with my daughters. And it's far greater than the relationship that I had with my own parents. But, and I have a great relationship with my mother now. Also because I learned to just let go and not be judgmental. Yeah, dude, that, that's, um, I get the chills because that, you know, you and I obviously have come from two extremely different places, but that mirrors my exact journey in the forgiveness for my father and actually finding com- deep compassion for him. Because he went through something that I, that that he didn't have the tool, he didn't have the tools, he didn't have the capacity to sort of learn from it. You know, he was damaged as well, and and was destined to repeat it in a sense. You know, and when you really get into it and you understand what those patterns are, shit changes, and this this sort of wave of forgiveness comes over you, and then this veil is sort of lifted, and now we're able to have somewhat of a relationship. It's not tight by any means but it's starting you know at the age of 44 um but no it's interesting and that and forgiveness essentially is selfish you know it's like yeah you're forgiving the other person but but you're also letting go of so much for yourself that allows you to move forward in a positive way you know so i feel i feel that for sure yeah i I think i and i don't know that you're gonna say this d nice about yourself but but i think just to give an example Unless I'm wrong, your baby girl is in Michigan if she's not with you. Is that right? And you would get up 
at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning and make sure that you were on FaceTime with her and kind of get her day started and let her know, hey, dad's here, even if I'm not right there. I, you know, it, it, it was important for you that, so that kind of answers the question that Oliver had earlier. You, that's how involved you want to be that you set your alarm clock, you're making tea in the morning just to make sure that you have, it's not FaceTime the app, it's face comma time with your girl so that that's how she starts her day. I, I just think that's, that's really cool. Yes. And that's, that has always been important um, because I traveled so much and um, you know, it's important to, to be there. Fortunately for me, my, my ex and, um, and you know, my daughter, they now live in, in Los Angeles. So she bought a house here in Los Angeles. Mm. So my daughter spends half of her time with me now. And then she spends the other half with her mom, but we still wake up at 4 a.m. And we wake, we wake up at 4 a.m. because she was still going, she's doing virtual school in Michigan until the end of this oh. semester. <laughs> so we wake up every day at 4 a.m. to make sure that she's doing. So that's what I was doing during the pandemic. So like after the first four months, you know, when my daughter finally came with me to be here with me in Los Angeles, yes, and school started every morning. I was up at 4 a.m., making sure that she was set up, you know, um, you know, in, at the at the table and, you know, and we would do that. And then I would do my events and then I would still DJ. And then at night I would play and help her with homework. And Maybe get back when you on. cried for three hours, you were just tired. It's okay tired. to be tired. You're doing, <laughs> you're burning tired. the candle at every possible I was, end. I was tired, man. You know what I did, Joe? I, I, I cried for three hours and then I just decided, you know what? I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive to Utah. And I drove by myself to Utah and I stayed at a resort out there for five days, took no music with me. I just spent five days doing absolutely nothing but things that made me happy. I, I went rock climbing. I went horseback riding, you know, like I was just doing Stuff things that you that- grew up doing in the Bronx. Well, you didn't go horseback riding in the Bronx. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've been to the Bronx a few times. Yeah. That's that's good though. That's that's self care, you know. It's like you know, you know it's get up and get out. Get up and get out, man. This is great. This is great. It's so funny that you did that, but music is not a part of it. Whereas for the rest of the world, Music is is kind of the conduit. Music is is the way that we all kind of start to unwind. It's like a trigger in our mind. To you, it's it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but music is your work, you know? So you're you're I, I would imagine, you know, people always say to me, if you watch, if you're sitting on the couch and you're watching a Super Bowl and you're not doing it, or you're watching a World Series game and you're not doing it, or just a regular old game, can you watch a game and not call the play-by-play? in your head, which is what I do for a living. And the answer is probably no. Like I'm constantly looking at it and in my mind. So, so therefore, if I'm not working, I'm not dying to go sit in front of a TV and watch a game for you. Are you, is it the same way? Or if you're, if you're listening to music, are you listening to the baseline? Are you listening to what could come next? Are you, is it, is your mind always turning that way? I, I listen to music. That's the beauty of music and, and creativity. Um, I listen to, to music the same way I did when I was 15 years old. So that's why I can play 19 hours straight. It's because I really do love music. 
And I love sharing the music with people. You know, like when we see, that's the other thing that was so beautiful or, or is beautiful about my particular social media um, um, following is that it could be John 7214 and then Bobby Flay will be in there. And we're all right. listening to the same music. And it's the, like the most eclectic group of people <laughs> where it's like, and Bobby Flay will say, oh my gosh, you're playing the Benjamins from P. Diddy. Like, this is my song. But then this black kid, John 7214, is like, yo, level 42 is like, yo, I grew up. So it's like, it's almost like the music that people secretly listened to didn't want anyone to yeah. know. But like now we're in this room together and like we all love it all. And it's like, I get I get such a kick out of that that it just makes me happy. So the music isn't what caused my fatigue. It was really just doing it over and over again, doing it so much. Cause every time I can't listen, as soon as I'm off with you guys, I'm about to play a set. I haven't yeah. played a set online in like a week. I've been traveling. I can't wait to play a set. I'm like dying to just play some music right now. Well, just when you do say, Hey, I just got off the best podcast of my life. Here's the name of it. And when I drove to Utah, I didn't listen to music. I listened to back, back issues of daddy issues and it blew my mind. It changed my life. That's exactly what I'm going to say. Okay, good. Great. Uh, Fantastic. So I have to, uh, bef before we, before we get out and I have a couple more questions, but I, I just for personal reasons, like, how I know Chappelle already asked you this, but how did this? How did it happen with Scott LaRock and KRS? And how was BDP? How did that? How did that happen? I mean, it was at the shelter, and and KRS was homeless. But then, what was the synergy that brought you guys together to then start getting into the studio to make music? Well, the the, the, the so Scott LaRock and KRS had been in the trenches together, and like you know, KRS was his MC. Like he, you know, they would, Scott would DJ clubs at nighttime, but by day he was a social worker. And, um, you know, they would go out and KRS would battle all of these MCs and then he would go back home to the shelter. Um, when I met them, which is funny though, because Scott LaRock, when immediately when he met me, he looked at me and said, You're going to be in my group. I didn't know how to rap, I didn't know how to DJ. I didn't know how to produce. I did nothing in the music business, but he saw me and and what he said was, "You remind me of LL Cool J. You're gonna be in our, you're gonna be the LL Cool J of our group." So he kind of pulled me into the situation. KRS didn't really agree with that, you know, because mm -hmm. they were doing so much together already. He's like, "Well, why why are you pulling this kid in into it?" So KRS and I had never really had like the tightest relationship, even though I was like producing on on the early BDP albums after Scott mm -hmm. passed away. Um, we we just never really had that same connection that I had with Scott or the connection that he had with Scott, which is mm. so crazy that, so I know we talked about daddy issues and all of that, but then there's also like the big brother issues. So mm. for my entire career, I felt like I lived in the shadow of KRS-One, of one of the greatest MCs. I came from that era and from that music and from that group. And he truly an icon. And I lived in the shadow of KRS. And so when I say to you how important 2020 was to me, it took three decades for me to finally feel like I am no longer living in the shadow of someone else's greatness, mm. that I'm just being me, you know, like, because that was something that I carried with me for, for decades of like, I kept doing things because I wanted to like not 
just be affiliated with that. Not that I wasn't proud to be from that group. I'm not here without that journey. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to be respected for for my accomplishments and my contributions to the culture. But when my name is D Nice came out and it had some success, as I don't know what it sold half a million or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, yes. but back in the day, obviously you want to get to the millions and all that, but it had success. I remember that. I remember that song. Were you in that moment of like, okay, shit is happening? And then that's it, right? I mean, was that a moment for you? And then you had to pivot? So that was a a great moment for me, right? So one, I did the track Call Me D-Nice for Kid Rock because I got Kid Rock his deal with Jive Records back in the day. So I found Kid Rock, got him his deal. That was a beat that he didn't like. So I just laid my old vocals on top of it. And then it became a hit. The, the, The problem that we were having with the record company was music has shifted so you you know in the late 80s everything was about conscious lyrics you know black empowerment like you know public enemy krs ice cube you know we were all trying to find you know find ourselves that's the generation that i grew up in but then i was still young you know krs is like eight years older than me so i was Mm -hmm. still young and considered old school because i had started so young in the business that by the time like 1992, when when Diddy and and Biggie and all these guys, the music industry started to change, you know, like the sound of it changed. So it was the sound that I loved, but that wasn't the generation that I was from in terms of like making music. So the record company shelved me. So it wasn't that I didn't want to make more music. They just wow. didn't believe me. So I was like on the shelf. That's why, you know, when I say that this journey has been so beautiful, I literally had to find myself throughout decades of like not trying, not allowing someone or, or, or a record company or, or a genre of music define who I am. And, and even though I was angry, who wants to be shelved? You know, when you're creative, you know, I can't, I couldn't go out and get a new, a new deal. It was actually the best thing that happened to me because I would not be here right now mm-hmm. without everything that I experienced. So yeah, man, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. And then what's next? What's the? I mean, we got, we got, you got the Hollywood Bowl, but you know, five years. I don't even got to go that far. But what, 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 what are we, what are we feeling? What's, what's inside of you that needs to come out beyond what, what you're even doing right now? So you know, right now I started making music again. I have a single that's like number six on the charts, featuring Neo. I'm, I'm literally about to release this album on this. Oh my gosh, I almost said who's on it. I haven't really announced it yet, but <laughs> <laughs> we've just been slowly trying to get that out there. But no, I have yeah, yeah. like a lot of superstars on here, man. You know, awesome. like I'm, I'm not lying. So it's in the veins of DJ Khaled, in the veins of David Guetta, you know, but it's more on the R&B kind of soulful side, but with top artists, you know, like, and it's, and that's been an amazing journey. Um, you know, I also have like, I have, two book deals, you know, I'm, I'm a photographer, so I've been shooting. Yeah, we didn't touch on that. Yeah. You know, for a very long time, I finally have my coffee table um, book deal. So I want to show this stuff. Um, I have like, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but the archive photos that you have must be insane, right? I I mean, um, I have a lot of um, photos in the archive. Yeah. No. And it's, it's, I just feel like it's, I, I'm doing everything that I love, man, you know, and and it's been that journey from the beginning. So I want to continue on that path, you know, and I also want to get more into filmmaking. I have, you know, a couple of deals on the table now. 
So just to tell these stories of really, and in, in particular, hip hop culture, and not just from one specific part of it, you know, hip hop changed the world, man. Like, changed the way we all listen to music. And it wasn't just because of black culture. The music, the music itself brought so many people together. And I want to tell stories like that, you know? Mm. Awesome, buddy. Man, it's it's it's, it's it's so inspiring to hear your story. And, you know, I suggest, and, and I know you know this, I'm not telling you something you don't think about all the time, but next time you uh, you have those insecurities or you have that session where for three hours you don't feel that great, just think about those two girls and what you've done and and the molds you've broken there and and how you've 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 put one through Penn State Law School which is wow and then you've got another one that you're putting together and ready to unleash on the world too i mean you're you are doing a lot of great things and uh it's it's an honor to have you on i'm thinking maybe a duets album with you and me like have you ever thought about doing like a <laughs> I- 52-year-old you know balding play-by-play announcer kind of thing? I was, I was going to – I mean, we're both balding, so I was going to suggest that. You know, I, I think, you know, it'll be – I like, saw it. I saw it in your eyes. I saw it in your eyes. Oh, man. I, awesome. Well, we're obviously both fans, and, and we're so yeah, psyched that you wanted you. to come on. And, uh, man, thanks. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, I wasn't gonna. Yeah, miss I was rushing from the airport. I was like, I gotta get there. Nah, I appreciate. We appreciate. So, like I said, I'm a fan, so this was this was therapeutic for me as well. And I and I appreciate the you guys allowing me to just be you know just you know vulnerable and transparent. Yeah. You know, like and and that's you know you, it's hard to find a safe space like that where people respect it, man. So thank you both. No, oh, thank you, man. I appreciate you. This has been really really cool. Thank All right, you. be well. Play a great set. Remember, uh, yeah. remember, just start with "Hey, Daddy Issues." Wherever podcasts are available, <laughs> Spotify, whatever that old tired <laughs> phrase is. And, 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 and I can't. I'll, I'll come up with the name for our duets album. Okay. So. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Good. All right, All right. See you guys. All right. All right. See you, man. All right. All right. Take care. Right. Later, buddy. <laughs> oh, Oliver, that was great, man. What a thrill. Uh, what, a, what a great guy. God. Awesome. Jesus, that was really fun. Really cool, man inspiring inspiring just works you just you just never know what you know what path your life is going to take you know it just it can take such a hard left or a hard right or whatever i mean d nice has been around forever you know and he's been a photographer he's been a dj he's traveled the world but no one really knew you know, who D-Nice was, you know, I mean, the world, of course, you know. Sure. And then this happens, and he's created this space for people to come together, you know, when we all were so far apart and were unable to connect, and he created that platform for that connection and now is doing all of the things that that, that uh, he wants to do, and it's pretty fucking inspiring. And it's just you just never know when when it's going to happen. You never know when that lightning is going to strike. That old phrase of necessity is a mother of invention. And it's insulting during a pandemic where people, you know, lost lives and lost loved ones and, and, you know, all the uncertainty and lost jobs and lost whatever to say that somebody, quote unquote, won quarantine. But I've heard that phrase out there before, like so-and-so mm-hmm. won quarantine. He's one of the people that took that opportunity and found his way through it and reinvented himself. But if you think about his whole, 
you know, he's been an actor, he's been a photographer, he's been a rapper, he's been a producer, he's been all mm -hmm. these things. And now, you know, he won Web the Webby Award, uh, he won a BET Award, he won all, all of these awards during 2020 because he found his footing at a time where people needed it and it 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 resonated with people. So even though it's I guess on one hand demeaning, I, I mean it. Like he he deserves credit, big time credit for taking advantage of an opportunity, finding his way and and just relaunching what was already a really good career into a great career where he can sell out the Hollywood Bowl. Sure, but he did. But it, I don't think you even need to amend the winning quarantine because he he didn't do it from an opportunistic place. He did it from a place of love and from his heart. Yeah. Meaning, I want to play music and I want to bring people together. It's that fucking simple, you know. Right. He wasn't getting paid to do all this. This was just coming from his soul. So yeah, he did win quarantine. I well, mean, and, and you know what I mean when I asked him that question, it would be like a comic telling jokes on Instagram. And just doing going through the whole set, mm -hmm. but never seeing anyone smile or anyone laugh. So mm -hmm. he's playing his yeah. his music, <laughs> and he is not seeing anybody smile. He's not seeing anybody dance. He's not seeing yeah. because I would imagine anytime you're a DJ or you're in a band or whatever, you're reading the room and you're constantly well that was a, you know that didn't work. So if that didn't work, then this won't work and this won't work. I got to go this direction or whatever it is. Yeah. And he finally said, you know what? This is what I want to listen to. And it just so happened that a hundred plus thousand people wanted to listen to it, and and that's what you know kind of kind of gave him yeah. his validation. So good for him. I think it's awesome. It was awesome. Well, he's going to go do a set now. So you looks like you're in a beautiful place. You should put it on one of your speakers. Just get your Instagram, and you can do the live, and it can play over your speaker. Maybe maybe he will give Daddy issues a shout out. How great would that be? God, people are like, what? Like, What's what wrong with you? <laughs> right. <laughs> D nice is a sellout. That'll be the headline. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh God. I but 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 how you know, I here's a self-serving moment for me and or us, but th that I'm sure he's never heard this podcast before, but that he kind of got right into the flow of yeah. it's okay to be vulnerable and just kind of talk about insecurities like right out of the gate. I, I yeah. love that. Oh, me too. And even just, you know, when 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 D Nice or when other people sort of say how much they're enjoying it in the middle of doing it, you know that it's true, and it, they're feeling something in that moment, and and it makes again it's self serving, but it makes you makes me feel good. Yeah, like we're not <laughs> wasting know? our time, but you know, this much is true. That's what we, that that might be in the set. Uh huh huh huh. Mm -hmm. huh. I know. I know. Much is true because he well he can play the PM Don version of it because right. they sampled that you know yes. what I mean so yes. yeah yeah level forty two yeah level forty two I was is it um wait give me one level forty two song because there is something about you is that them baby tonight <laughs> is that them <laughs> I just love your voice. I couldn't live without you, baby, yeah. tonight. <laughs> Is that level 42 or not? I don't even know. I have no idea. Yeah, you do. You're acting like you don't know. I don't know. What's your, what is, here, we can, we can wrap up with this. What's your guilty yeah. pleasure? What is the worst music that at least I would think is the worst music that you go to and it's your happy zone? 
that I wouldn't think you would like? I don't know if you don't think I would like, but I, I, I'm a I like I'm a big like Christopher Cross fan. Uh, you who, know who doesn't like that? I mean, I know you like that, but like sailing. If sailing comes on, it literally takes me away to the place. You know, <laughs> it, it just it get it actually takes me there. Yeah, I just feel something in my body. I just relax and, and soon I get you nostalgic. Will be free. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like it's my life for reasons that don't make any sense. I love it. Sailing just makes me feel happy. Okay, good. <laughs> that, okay. But that's not one that you would, you know. Not like. Not like. Yeah. But I think you would like every Guilty Pleasure song. Yeah, the song. You know? But like Sean Colvin for me is one that you wouldn't think. is it As it is mixed <laughs> Wait, in... With everything else, Sean Colvin what? is a female guitar player. Yeah, yeah. Sunny What's came the song home. Again? Sunny came home. She's great. I saw her in concert in a in a concert in the round, and she was down there playing her guitar, and she's just great. She's got a great voice. That's, it's very soothing to me. All of her yeah. Songs. Okay. You're a Sean Colvin fan. Yeah, I am. Let's get her on the show. proud of it. She's got to have daddy <laughs> issues somehow. Everybody's got daddy issues. We should do that. We should do a guilty pleasure episode. We just we just get like one of our guilty pleasure, you know, moments and bring them on. Yeah. You know, like someone from below deck for me. <laughs> you know. I'm I'm having and I don't care what you say about it. My hair doc is coming on. I'm down. Let's go. I'm going to have to evaluate you. That's not well, why, now, but I'm going to have yeah, him but evaluate you. You, you have via. gotten in my head a little bit. You have. Like, now I'm like looking at myself like, is Joe Ryan feels thinner? And now you've got me tripping. Like, I don't have enough shit to sort of figure out. But, so I am the you know. Bryson DeChambeau to your Brooks Kepka in your head That's about right. your hairline. Oh my God, this is the, it's the greatest feud of all time. It's the Love greatest that. and yet somewhat annoying. I have to say. I know. Well, they're not it's 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 almost like they're not sharp enough. You know yeah. what I mean? If 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 they were a little bit more witty and you know, Brooks Kepka's funny. Like he says some funny oh, shit, yeah. you know. Um but it it I don't know. It, it's missing something. There's an ingredient that's missing from it. I don't know what it is. Right. Should be full contact golf. They're both huge guys. That would be great. It'd be great. They should, you know, they should box. They should box. They should do what we used to do in football, which I think has been outlawed, called the Oklahoma drill, where you lay on your back, helmet to helmet, across from the other guy. Coach blows a whistle. You get up and you got to like beat, you got to take, yeah. you got to get through the other person. So they should do that. Oklahoma drill, get through the other person, then just run and tee off. Yeah. Well, Bryson would take him. Bryson's too strong. He's big. He's a big man, but so yeah. is Kapka. He's. Yeah, Bryson will take him. Okay, I'm not. I'm not messing with Kepka anymore. So it's. I've done that. Been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> I hope Josh. Uh, I right, hope Josh Josh-y. cuts all of this out. All right. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeartMedia, produced by Margot Carmichael. Sound engineering and editing by Josh Windish. Executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger. <laughs>